0: Thank you very much. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to read verse 1 to verse 12, and my subject today is going to be about persecution. And I'd like you to join in reading the Scripture with me. Some of it will come up. Could you please join with me in reading the verses that come up? So if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to it. It's Matthew chapter 5. As I said, I'm going to read verses 1 to 12, but I think verses 3 to 10 will come up on our screen. Could I have the first one up, please? So I'm going to start just a little bit before that. And then when it comes to this bit, if you could join in, you can remain seated. That's fine. That would be really helpful. So Jesus is speaking. It says this. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, I wonder how many of you have got some kind of medicine cupboard at home, uh, who has? Just let's have a show of hands. Who's got some? Or maybe a shelf somewhere, or a box, or something where you keep your medicines in. Okay, thank you. I wonder if in your medicine box you've got any painkillers in there. Maybe you've got some paracetamol, or some calpol, or ibuprofen, or codeine, or things of that nature. I guess, if I, again, if I did a straw poll, I would find that probably everybody here has used painkillers at some stage in their life. I was on a holiday once, not so long ago, and I got really bad toothache. It was nasty, and it kept me awake at night, and it ruined the holiday, and I took endless painkillers, and they didn't seem to have any effect. I read a book a few years ago, really very interesting book, by, co-written by Philip Yancey and Paul Brandt, and it had a very interesting title, this book. It was called The Gift of Pain. The Gift of Pain. I thought, well, that's, a, that's what we call an oxymoron, isn't it? It's like hot ice, you know? You can't have hot ice, can you? The Gift of Pain. But as I read it, I realized what was meant by that. Dr. Brandt, who was the co-author of the book, worked with patients who suffered from leprosy, now called Hansen's disease, but commonly known as leprosy. Now, I've seen people in Nepal who... In fact, I've been to a hospital that deals with patients who suffer from leprosy. And it's not a very... It's easily treatable. But unless it gets treated in the early stages, it's a very dangerous disease. Because what happens if you don't know is you begin to lose feeling in your skin. And the outer part of your body. you lose feeling. So, for example, you might think, well, maybe that's not so bad. Well, it's very dangerous when you think about it. So, for example, many people who suffer from that disease go blind... And the reason is this, they get a piece of grit, small piece of grit in their eye, and they don't know that they've got it, and it results in an infection, and that's why you will see many of them who, you know, they've cut themselves, and they don't realize they've cut themselves, they get infected, and the infection gets worse, and they lose fingers and toes and things like that. So it's a very nasty disease. So I now understand why he said the gift of pain. You know, again, on Friday, it was interesting. I was talking about this with Jen in the church office on Thursday. And I got home that day, and we had some nice crusty bread. Joy had made some nice homemade soup. And I got a large, serrated, sharp knife. And I went to cut the bread, and I went like that. And the knife slid down the bread right into my fingers. So instead of slicing the bread, I yelped with pain. However, so persecution isn't fun. It's not pain-free. Jesus talks about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when men persecute and revile you and say all kinds of things against you for my sake. It's not pain-free, though, persecution. Yet Jesus says, if you go through it because of righteousness, or because of what you do, what God requires, or for doing right because of me... He says, then you are blessed indeed. So I want to look at a couple of things today. What is persecution? Why persecution? How to deal with persecution? So what is persecution, first of all? What it isn't, it isn't being harsh and judgmental and lacking grace. And sometimes we see this, I have to say, on our TV screens So, for example, you see people, maybe not so much in this country, but in other countries, protesting outside abortion clinics, and they have placards, and they seem to be shouting in a very angry manner uh, at the people who are going in. And I think it seems to me that lacks grace. And then they may get some stick because of that. To me, that's not persecution, because the Apostle Paul says, if I give all I possess to the poor... And surrender my body to the flames. But have not love. I gain nothing. So Jesus is talking about things that you do in love. Not things that you do in hate. Hatred of evil, yes. But not hating people. Hating what they do, perhaps. But about doing things in love. And the apostle Peter also says not being a meddler. You know, meddling. And then getting into trouble because of that. He's not talking about that. Or doing things which are wrong. He's talking about for righteousness sake. It's important to underline that. Doing it for me. If you're persecuted because of me, Jesus says. For doing good. This is the context in which he's saying it. Now there are degrees and types of persecution. I've done a little bit of research on this. Very interesting. And persecution can be categorized into two, largely two uh, elements. The first one, not necessarily the in in the sense of order, is smash, what's called smash. And the second one is what's called squeeze. So there's smash persecution and squeeze persecution. Let me explain what is meant by that. So smash persecution is that violent, obvious, headline-grabbing, murder, abduction-type persecution. That violent persecution that sometimes makes the headlines. That's what's called smash persecution. The other one is more pernicious. It's called squeeze persecution. And I would suspect that some of you here have maybe suffered in the past, or maybe you're suffering even now from what's called squeeze persecution. It's more subtle. It's less obvious. It's pressures of being excluded from the family, for example, of losing your job, of hearing words that seek to undermine or discredit you even having been rejected by a traditional church community. A few months ago, I interviewed one of our members of our congregation from Ethiopia. And she told us that she had suffered persecution. She had been stoned on her way to church. And in fact, I talked with her again about it on Friday, just to get my facts clear. And I said to her, did any of the stones hit you? She said, yes. And the church building was also stoned. That's more smash persecution. But in addition to that, her family and the, put pressure on her to abandon her faith in Christ. That's more squeeze persecution. Put emotional pressure on her. I said, well, why did your family put emotional pressure on you to leave Christianity to abandon the faith? She said, well, the community didn't like it. So there you have that type of squeeze persecution. Maybe you've been ridiculed at work because you're known as a Christian. Maybe you've been called a Bible basher. Perhaps people look out for you to make a slip up. Then they pounce. They call you a hypocrite. Or maybe your family has put some kind of emotional pressure on you. Perhaps to abandon your faith. Or you're called a bigot because your views on, for example, same-sex marriage or the sanctity of life. Don't line up with the current laws of the land. And so you're bigoted. That's persecution. It's squeezed persecution. Uh, Researchers have measured persecution by this. The degree of freedom a Christian has to live out his or her faith in five spheres of life. So a Christian, the degree of freedom a Christian has to live out his or her faith in five spheres of life. One sphere is your private life. So, for example, the prophet Daniel was living in Babylon under uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, I think it was, and because he wouldn't uh, uh, bow down, he wouldn't uh, obey the decree of the king, which was that no one was to pray to anyone except the king for 30 days, and it was Daniel's habit to pray every day to the Lord his God, and some of the governors set out to trap Daniel because they realized that Daniel was a good guy. Daniel did his work well. Daniel was reliable. Daniel was trustworthy. Daniel was not corrupt. And because of that, the king liked Daniel and had plans to promote him. And they got jealous. So they got the king to make this decree that for 30 days it would be against the law of the Medes and the Persians to um, pray to anyone except the king. And Daniel went and prayed. And as a result of that, they caught him in the act of prayer. These guys who wanted to trap him. And he was persecuted because of that. So that was to do with his private life. And we know the story. He ended up in the lion's den. So in your private life, there can be persecution. In the family, and we talked a little bit about that. Jesus suffered that as well when his family said, He's out of his mind. He's mad. He's a sandwich short of a picnic. These things were said against them. So family pressures. Or it could be in the community. And again, Jesus experienced this. We can read it in Luke 4.29. It says, they got up the people of his town, drove him out of the town. And by the way, this is after he proclaimed in the synagogue that the year of the Lord had come. The year of favor of the Lord had come. And he said, and this day it's being fulfilled in your hearing. And they didn't like it. And they wanted to kill him. It says, they took him out of the town in order to throw him down the cliff. So there's community pressure. There's national pressure. There can be national pressure. In some countries, Christians are persecuted. It is illegal to convert someone to Christianity. It is illegal to change your faith. That's national persecution. Or in church life, there can be persecution in church life. Restrictions on where you can meet, how you can meet, who's going to lead the meeting, when you're going to do it. That's persecution. That's a control by the state. So are five main areas. And actually in the world today, again, experts who research these things say there are three main causes of persecution in the world today. Not in any order. One is Islamic extremism. It's a form of severe persecution and we read about it in our news. And I was uh, quite shocked to read something this week about some of the things that have gone on. Uh, in the Middle East. So for example. These Islamic extremists. Have gone to Christian homes. Homes where Christian lives, Christians live. And they've painted a symbol on their house. Just reminds me of what the fascists did in the second world war to the Jews. They would paint the star of David on their house. And write Uda, Jew on it. And persecute. That was persecution. So same thing has been happening in in uh, Iraq where the extremists have painted symbols on the homes of Christians in order to identify that home as a place where Christians live. So, And people have had to flee their homes and all sorts of things, which is on our news. So that's one area of major persecution in the world today. Another major area of persecution in the world today is what's called dictatorial paranoia. So it's the paranoia of dictators. People who want to grip the country in an iron rule. And anyone who does not submit to who they are and what they want is liable to come into persecution. And we see that historically down through the centuries. We see it at the time of Christ, Caesar is Lord. And the early Christians often went to their death because they would not burn incense to Caesar. They would not declare that Caesar is Lord Because for Christians, he is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so it brought them into conflict with the state. And that's still going on today in our country. And I'll say a little bit more about that later on. So there's Islamic extremism, dictatorial paranoia. And the third major reason for persecution in the world today is organized corruption. When Christians don't want to go along with the organized corruption that's going on in a nation, it often brings them into conflict With the community in which they live. Now, Joy and I were recently in South Africa and we stayed with a family where this was going on because the family we were staying with, the husband had uncovered some corruption which had gone to high levels in that country. And as a result of that, his name, although he was innocent, because he'd exposed the corruption and he wouldn't just sweep it under the carpet, he was finding that there was emotional pressure on him to just sweep it under the carpet and pretend it hadn't happened. So that's organized corruption. I guess it can be summed up by saying, you won't bow, down, bow the knee to our way of thinking or our way of doing things or both. As a result of that, persecution can come. <clears throat> as I said, we see it throughout the Bible as well. Jeremiah comes and he speaks out against the wickedness of King Zedekiah. And Zedekiah doesn't like it. His governors don't like it. And they want to kill him. They throw him down a well. They want to leave him there so that he starts to death. But fortunately, someone rescues him. Elijah comes and he speaks out against the Wicked king Ahab and his equally wicked queen Jezebel. I mean, you have to read the story in Two Kings to believe it. And uh, they want to kill him. In fact, Jezebel says, "If if you're not dead by the end of the day, something's wrong and Elijah flees. So that kind of state persecution has been going on for centuries. When our first loyalty is to Christ, then we will come into conflict with someone. When your first loyalty is to Christ, maybe in your family, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. I wish in some ways I'd heard that, so five minutes into becoming a Christian, then I would have been forewarned. In fact, the Apostle Peter says this, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that may come upon you. You're going to be persecuted, is what the Bible says here. My own experience, I, don't, I haven't suffered what we'd call smash persecution. Nobody stoned me. I haven't been imprisoned or anything like that. But I've experienced, I suppose, some squeeze, you know, emotional pressure to abandon the faith. And that happened early on in my Christian life. My family I—they thought I'd gone mad. And uh, they just didn't like the things that I was doing. And I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was enjoying the Lord. I was enjoying going to church. I was enjoying meeting with God's people. I was enjoying worship. I was just, I was totally enjoying the new life that God had given me. And I was telling people about it. And I thought this I thought it would be really well received. And I thought when I start telling people about Jesus, especially my friends you who know, I was real buddies. You know, we've done lots of things together. And and I thought, when I tell them about Jesus, they're going to realize this is the greatest news they've ever heard in their life. Boy, was I naive. (laughs) I had the opposite reaction. They had the opposite reaction. They looked at me with absolute bafflement, thinking, what on earth has happened to him? So that's not what I would call major persecution, but it is that kind of squeeze persecution. So, So, what is persecution? Well, it's those two categories that can come in different forms. Why persecution? Why persecution? Well, it's kingdoms in conflict. The Apostle Paul talks about us having been delivered from the dominion of darkness and having been brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So, there's kingdoms in conflict here, there's dominions in conflict. We sang this morning, Light of the World. You step down into, into darkness. You know, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned. And darkness came into the world. Death came into the world. So a shroud of darkness came into the world. And people became alienated from God. And Satan thought, aha, my time has come now. I'm going to rule the world. I'm going to overthrow God. I'll, and I will rule the world. Well, he's, no, he's never going to be able to do that. We know that. But nevertheless, there's still a shroud of darkness over the world. We see it in our own country. Even in my lifetime, I think I have seen the moral darkness of this nation increase. How many, just interestingly, anybody over the age of 40, let's say. Now, just have a think for a moment. Those people who've lived in this country for that time. you know, From the time I was a lad in the 60s. I think the moral darkness has increased in this nation. What do you think? Any Anybody agree with me? Yeah. Thank you. I mean, as many of you know as well, I go to Nepal a lot, and I love that country and I love the people, but there's a huge darkness over that nation. There's a huge darkness of idolatry, and you just see it wherever you go, and, and it's such a broken society. I mean, they seem to lurch from one crisis to the other, and you think, well, why is that? Why is that? Is it because the politicians are inept? Well, maybe that is. What is it? I think there's a darkness over the country. Do you you think Satan wants us to prosper? No, of course he doesn't. He He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a conflict. So why persecution? There's a conflict. There's kingdoms in conflict. And when you become a Christian, your worldview changes. Mine certainly did. And interestingly enough, last week I spoke about blessed are the peacemakers. When I got home, as you do when you're a preacher, you wake up, waking up in the watches of the night and you think about all the things that you didn't say that you should have said or the things that you didn't say well enough. You could have said that better. You shouldn't have said that and all that kind of thing. And one of the things I thought was this. I didn't mention the fact that Jesus said this. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I thought, well, how does that fit in with blessed are the peacemakers? How does that fit in with peace on earth and goodwill to all mankind and that the angels sang and will remember it at this time of year? Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And yet Jesus is described as the prince of peace. So what's that all about? Well, he's not saying this. He's not saying, I've deliberately come to meddle and stir up trouble. That's not what it's about. But he is saying that who he is and his message will divide people. There will be opposition to who he is, even from within your own family. You know, it's interesting as well. Jesus talks about, you know, sometimes there'll be hatred in the family. Your own family will hate you. You know, why is it so much in the family? It's because I guess... You know, our family are close to our hearts, generally. And when they disapprove of us, we tend to take notice of it, don't we? You know, if someone in the street who I've never met before comes up and says something negative to me, I won't take much notice of it. But if someone near and dear to me does say something, I'm more liable to take notice of it because I value what they're saying. And Jesus is saying here, I did not come to bring peace, but I saw because who I am and my message is going to divide people. It's going to divide even families. It will divide you against your father. It will divide you against your mother. It will divide you against your brother, your sister, your son, your wife, your husband. It will divide you. And yet at the same time, Jesus approves and disapproves of aspects of things that are going on in the family. So he's not against family. He, he condemns the Pharisees who saying, You say, because I've dedicated this gift to God, I can't help my parents. And he condemns them for it. When one of the guys comes and says, What should I do to earn eternal life? And, the, and uh, he talks about honoring his parents. It's one of the commandments. And so Jesus is not against family. But he's just saying to us, Hello here. Don't be surprised that my message will come and not everyone is going to nod their heads and say, hey, that's really good. Well done. Fantastic. I'm so glad you're born again. That is the best thing I've heard. I'm so glad that you've got this new life. Don't be surprised. And in that sense, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword is going to divide. Why was Jesus hated? Why did they want to stone him? Because he showed up often the shallowness of who they were. He showed up their unrighteous living. He showed up their hypocrisy. You give a tenth of your spices, he said, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So when Jesus came as the light, it's a bit like, And I may have told this story before, but I'll tell it again. When we moved into our first house, by the grace of God and the kindness of the Lord and the kindness of people here, we moved into a house that had never been lived in. And uh, my DIY skills are not very good. However, I decided I would wallpaper the bathroom. But what I didn't do was I didn't make sure that the first sheet of wallpaper was perpendicular all right, so what I did was I thought, well, the, the corner of the wall will be perpendicular, so I'll just put it there. And then I worked from there and I went round. Of course, by the time I got to the other end of the wall, the wallpaper was not perpendicular. It was slightly like that, at an angle. Uh, so I learned a lesson. So the next time I did it, I used what's called a plumb line. Yeah, you know what a plumb line is, don't you? You have a piece of string and you have a weight on the end of the piece of string and you hold it and you get Perpendicular. And so, and then I would mark it with a pencil on the wall. And then I would line up that sheet against that. Jesus came into the world. He is the plumb line for life. He's the plumb line. And because he came in, he showed up all the crookedness and the perverseness of human people. But... He said, I've come to help those who realize they're not perpendicular. That's why I've come. But the problem came from those who thought that they already were. We don't need you. We don't want what you have to say. We reject you. We reject all that you bring to us. And so they hated him for it. Light came into the darkness. And Jesus put it like this. People love their darkness instead of the light. So how to deal with persecution? Well, Jesus tells us how to deal with persecution in verse 12. He says, rejoice and be glad. There you go. I can sit down now. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. So there's something about there's a greater reality that is only seen with the eyes of faith. And we need the Holy Spirit's enlightenment. We need the reality of heaven to come to us in the various ways in which we can... do that, and I'll talk about that as we go on. So, we need the Holy Spirit's enlightenment. We need to somehow grasp the reality of heaven itself. We have to realize we don't suffer alone. Again, going back to the book of Daniel, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down to the king's idol. And as a, as a result of that, they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and then the king looks in the furnace, and he says, didn't you throw three in there? I can see four. Who's the fourth one? Looks like a son of man. Who was the fourth one? Well, it was God himself in the fiery furnace. Have you been through a fiery furnace? Are you going through a fiery fiery furnace in your life? Someone, uh, someone is with you in it. It's the Lord himself. So we have to realize that we don't suffer alone. Hia Wu is a North Korean Christian. She tried to escape to China because of state persecution. She was caught and imprisoned. As you can imagine, the conditions were harsh, to say the least. They get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. They had to do hard work with little food. They had to have indoctrination sessions. They had to have self-criticism times. And not only self-criticism, but other people could criticize you as well. So, you can imagine, it wasn't a very positive environment to be in. How did she cope? And not only that, but if someone in the camp died, they would cremate the body, they would put the ashes on the road that the prisoners had to walk on. This is in our lifetime. This is in North Korea. How on earth did she cope with such terrible persecution well one of the things that she did was she said she meditated on psalm 23 every day she meditated on that every day and she said that god comforted me every day i quote she says this god gave me the strength to help other people god encouraged me to tell others can you imagine it There she is in this camp, no support uh, from others, and yet she feels encouraged by the Lord to tell others about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Five people came to faith in the camp, and they met in secret in the toilet and in other hidden places in the camp. They shared their food together, and she writes this, All survived because we looked after each other, She says, my life has been very hard, but Jesus is always watching over me. I just think that's remarkable. So how did that woman cope with the persecution that she had to go through? Well, she she found strength from God's word. She meditated on God's word. She used God's word. She read God's word. She thought about God's word. She Eventually, she was able to meet with others. She gained strength. And the strength to be gained from one another. You know, this is not just some kind of casual meeting that we have. Our small groups are not simply casual meetings. These are powerhouses. These are potential powerhouses to equip us and help us with the things that we're facing or will face in our life. The strength to be gained from knowing that there's a greater reality. That the Lord is with you and he is bringing his reward. When is the time to be strengthened when is it it 's a bit like a marriage? When is the time to strengthen a marriage? Is it when it 's in trouble? Well, that certainly would be helpful, but actually, the time to strengthen a marriage is now. The time to strengthen ourselves against persecution when is it when the persecution arises? No, the time to strengthen ourselves is now through god 's word, through being together and through gaining. A sense that there's a greater reality here. And often we can get that in our worship. The other thing, and I've I've got to come to a a swift close now. Well, five minutes. Uh, Victory is assured. All right? Victory is assured. The other day, I don't have many significant dreams, and I don't know how significant this dream was, but the other week I had a dream. And when I woke up, I remembered it. I didn't remember all of it, but I remembered in the dream I was running. And as I was running, I was singing a song. And when I woke up, the song was very clear in my mind to such an extent that I can still remember it. And I've been singing it off and on ever since. And uh, the song, and I thought, well, why why is this one particularly come into my head? I don't know. But here it is. I'm not going to sing it this time. You'll be pleased to know. I'm just going to say it. Fear not, O little flock. The foe that madly seeks to overthrow will come crashing down. Fear not his rage and power. His seeming triumph over all God's saints. Last a little hour. True as God's word is true. Not earth, nor hell, nor all its crew against us shall prevail. Our victory just cannot fail. Rise up. Rise up, rise up, rise up. You know, so we are on the victory side. The apostles were forbidden by the Jewish religious council from preaching the gospel and healing people. They were thrown in prison. The Lord released them. And the council called them and had them flogged and said, Don't you dare speak about Jesus again. Uh, Don't you dare proclaim things in his name again. And it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name persecution can come in different forms smash severe obvious headline making or maybe squeeze it may be that subtle pressure that emotional pressure that we may experience from time to time in our lives just to abandon to compromise to give up some ground on the faith whatever it might be persecution comes because light comes into the darkness and the darkness does not like it because there's a satanic power behind that darkness. To deal with persecution, we need to, know that, need to know that God is with us. He will never abandon us. We need to be into His Word to gain strength from one another. And in our worship to see that greater reality and remind ourselves of that.